We're going to be in two places in Scripture. One will be Philippians 4 in the New Testament. The other will be Malachi 4 if you want to just hold your place there. We'll come back to it in just a few minutes. Over the past few months, uh, my heart has been burdened specifically for the church. And in the days and the hours in which we're living, I've said multiple times that I believe with all of my heart that we are living in the last days, the final chapters of human existence on this earth as we know it. I believe that as we see that day draw near, no man knows the day, no man knows the hour, but as we see that day draw near, the church will feel and experience a different reality probably than we've ever experienced before. And I think it's safe to say that if we were to go back the past six or seven months and assess the sermons, the messages that God has given us here at Trinity Baptist Church, I think it's safe to say that God has us in a season of realization. He has us in a season, a season of real spiritual growth. And really what we're coming to terms with, I believe that if you boil it all down, comes down to two ideals, two motives. And that is this, that number one, the church is in desperate need of confidence. In the day and the hour in which we're living, Christians, the church, must be confident. Not confident in who we are, not confident in what our country is, not confident in local politics or the economy, but rather confident in who Christ is. If your confidence, if your stability comes from something other than who Christ is, then your confidence is found within something that is itself unstable and unsure. The only confidence that Christians are able to boast in or to be a part of is the confidence that comes from Christ. We must be confident in these days. The church needs confidence, no doubt. And in these days, if we are grasping for something other than Christ, for that confidence to live, for that confidence to parent, for that confidence to sustain and finish well the race that God has given us, then we're grasping for something that in the end will leave us without confidence. The second element that I see that God is teaching us, that God is wanting us to really embrace as Christians is authority. Authority. Once a Christian has embraced the identity of a confident Christian, once a Christian understands what it means to be confident in Christ, then what comes after the confidence is the authority to live in the day and in the age in which you're living. Paul said, as we're learning in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If you're going to stand in this day and in this age and say out loud or on social media or wherever you live your life vocally, whether it's to your friends or your family, your peers, the people you work with, whoever it is, if you're going to do it today and say out loud that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed to be identified as a Christian, I'm not ashamed of what it means to embrace a Christian worldview, then you must do that in these days with authority and with confidence. It takes authority 
and it takes confidence. And if you lack the authority to live in the day, and if you lack the confidence that you can make it in this day, then you'll wind up coming to a place where everything is out of sorts in your life and really everything feels unstable because again, there's no confidence and there's no authority. The church must have confidence and authority. It's authority that's rooted deeply in God's word. It's not rooted in who the pastor is. It's not rooted in the presence of the church. It's not rooted in the size of our ministry or the reserves that we have to do ministry financially. All of it boils down, all of it comes down to where is the church spiritually as it pertains to confidence and authority. I look at a opportunity today for all of us to grow and no doubt no matter how old you are no matter where you are in life all of us today as we said earlier we need to grow we need to change we need to develop if you ask any gray-haired saint of God that we've talked about already today how they've made it thus far I'm sure all of them would tell you they kept going they kept growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what we need today is to restring the instrument of confidence and authority in our heart. If you take a guitar, and Brother Larry, no doubt you have some beautiful guitars. Brother Chris, you've got some beautiful guitars. But if I were to take the strings off of those guitars and put them in their case or leave them on their stand, they're still guitars. Am I right? They're still guitars. But without the string, without the mechanism to make the sound, those guitars become just another piece of wood that symbolizes a guitar. It, it looks like a guitar, but there's nothing you can do without the string to give it the sound that a guitar makes. And if confidence and authority is a guitar, then the strings on that guitar is one word. And that word is hope. If confidence and authority are a stringed instrument, then the thing that makes it evident that it is that stringed instrument, the thing that gives it its song is one word, and it's called hope. It's called joy. It's called peace. It all comes down to knowing who Jesus is personally. Confidence and authority. But back to the root of all of this is that word joy. The beautiful sound that is made in the life of a confident believer is joy. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing quite as refreshing in this life, in this day and age that we're living in. When you walk into the room and there's someone in that room who has the song coming from their heart of joy and you know that the circumstance and the situation of their life is not in a good place or they're going through a battle, a difficulty, they have a cancer diagnosis, yet you come in, you're around them, and you hear from them nothing but joy and happiness and satisfaction and contentment. And from that comes real authority and confidence in who God is. And all of us today, if we're going to have authority and if we're going to have confidence, at the end of the day, you can look like a guitar you can have the shape of a guitar, but if you have no strings, if you have no joy to play the song of joy, then you are just that, a symbol of. And a Christian without joy is a Christian who has been robbed. 
A Christian without joy is a Christian that does not have authority, that does not have confidence. We are called to have joy coming from the heartstrings of our confidence and our authority. The Bible has much to say about this word joy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we're going to learn a Bible verse together today. Let's put it up on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's a really long verse, rejoice evermore. Now you've just learned 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Repeat it with me now, rejoice evermore. Now take it off the screen, here's your pop quiz. What is 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Rejoice evermore. More. So if we are called as Christians, if this is part of who we are, if this is our identity, if this is what makes up the Christian identity, the walk of faith, rejoice evermore, then honestly, at the end of the day, that is the greatest contrast to this world. The Christian life, it shows that joy, it proves that joy for a Christian is always appropriate. There's never a time, there's never a place where we aren't called to live a life of joy. If you remember going back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we learn that that word means blessed, happy, satisfied. Jesus was saying that as you mourn your sin, as you mourn the condition of the world, as you mourn uh, what Satan has done to mankind, And who we are without Christ, as you mourn that, there will still be in that mourning an opportunity for you to find inward satisfaction, joy, and happiness. The word is makarios. And here we are yet again, and the Lord is driving home to all of our hearts that you as a Christian are called to joy. It's the contrast of the world. Philippians 4.4, here's another verse for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again... He doubles down, I say, rejoice. Now let's break this verse down just a little bit. One part of it I think we'll all understand easily and we can embrace it. The second part might be a little bit more difficult for some to palate. Rejoice in the Lord. Now let's stop right there. Rejoice in the Lord is the realm, is the space, is the place where Christians will find real joy in the Lord. That is the realm of our joy. That is where real joy exists. A realm that's unrelated to the circumstances of this life. And real joy, understand this, real joy can only, can only come from the realm of the kingdom of God. The world has many things to offer people that bring what they think is or what they know to be joy in a temporary moment, a temporary flash. It's an ethereal experience. It's an emotional experience. But at the end of the day, anything that the world has to offer as a replacement to the real joy and the real satisfaction that Christ offers is nothing more than a pseudo joy. It's a facade And behind that facade is nothing more than the nasty truth and the nasty reality that if your life is void of or does not have Christ at the center, then your life is set up for nothing more than disappointment. There will be temporary flashes. You can take a bottle of alcohol and find a moment of joy. But guess what's at the bottom of the bottle of alcohol? Disappointment. 
You can find a drug. You can find a substance. I don't care what it is that can bring temporary joy. But at the end of the day, your joy, your satisfaction, your inward contentment, if it's not directly linked to Christ, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment and hurt. Our joy as Christians lives within the realm of what this verse says. Rejoice in the Lord to be part of the family of God. For God to know who I am and for me to know who God is personally, that is where I find my joy. Praise God that he knows me and I know him. It's the realm of joy that I get to operate in. I am literally above the things of this cosmos, this world, the zeitgeist, the evil movings and shakings and doings of the world that we're watching happening each and every day. Social media, news, TV, internet, I don't care where it is. You see the cosmos, the world falling apart. And if your confidence and your authority as a Christian is rooted in something other than Christ... You've robbed yourself and you're emaciated with malnutrition. You must find your joy in Christ. Now, I think we can all understand that. I think we can all embrace that. Yes, I love being a Christian. I love having a relationship with God. I love my church. Is it a perfect church? No, Winston Parrish joined it. And if it was perfect, then when he joined it, it was no longer perfect. That's just the truth. No church is perfect, but I'll say this, there's a lot of joy in coming to church. Thank God for the people that are here. Three o'clock in the morning, who am I going to call? It's not going to be AAA, it's going to be somebody from here. Thank God for being a part of that. That is the realm in which we find joy. But then the next part of this verse comes. And as students of the word of God, if we embrace this in context, if we take this all in, if we're a dry sponge and we're getting ready to to, to be dunked into proverbial truth and we soak this up, then it's very difficult to place our humanity and our understanding up against the truth of what Christians are called to do. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, I've got it. I'm embracing it. Yes, I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. Always. Now it changes. It's all changed with that one word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I can't make it go away. It's not a misprint. It's not just some sort of isolated idea in Philippians. This is all through the Bible. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And then he doubles down. And again I say rejoice. Almost to say yes, I know you're going to maybe argue this point. But the point is you must always rejoice. Christians are commanded to rejoice. We're commanded to have joy. And to do anything else would be in disobedience to God's word. You say, I find that most difficult. I find that most abrasive. It's the truth of his word and it's the lifestyle that we're called to live as Christians. Rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, there's no event. Listen to me. There's no circumstance. There's no set of circumstances or events. There's no chain reaction in the human life that should ever reduce or lessen or decrease or shrink the joy in the Christian life. You say, how is that possible? 
That doesn't even make sense that I could always find joy. Again, if we are finding our joy in something of this world, if your 401k and its stability and its growth and its projection from your financial advisor is a place of joy and satisfaction and inward contentment, number one, get ready. You are getting ready to take a wild ride. But you're missing an opportunity to never have to experience the angst and the anxiety that comes with your hope and your joy being attached to something as volatile as human markets. There is a greater economy of joy, and it's the joy that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If the size of your home, if the amount of time you can spend on vacation or the amount of money that you have in the bank, if that is where you're finding your sure footing, your stability, those are wonderful things. We need it. My prayer is that God makes every member of this church a multimillionaire. We'll get more done for God than we've ever done before. Praise God. But it may be that some of us are going to live right up to the edge of our budget for the rest of our life. And God's telling you, instead of living miserably, find joy in something greater. But do it all the time, no matter the circumstance. It's almost like where we read in Scripture where Jesus was teaching, be ye therefore holy, just as my Father in heaven is holy. When I put myself up to who God is and his holiness, Spencer, I find a block of Swiss cheese, lots of holes. I don't even like Swiss cheese. It's rubbery, doesn't have any flavor. Get some mozzarella, some Munster, something else. But the point is, Things are lacking. And so when I find myself lacking up against what Scripture teaches, what does it do? Does it make me want to give up? Maybe some days. Does it make me want to quit? Yeah, if you're having a bad day and I, I have to rejoice in what I'm living in. Are you kidding me? It may come down to your emotions getting in the way and you say, well, let's just throw in the towel. But what it is for you and what it is for me is for us to realize that we can't do it in ourselves. That's the beauty of this thing. And that's the point where yet again we dive off the cliff and cast ourselves into the arms of Jesus and say, Jesus, in this circumstance, in this moment, in this situation, can't find the joy. As a matter of fact, it's painful and it hurts, but I want you to give me my joy back. I want to go above the pain and the angst of this situation, this circumstance. And I want to once again be able to smile, be able to cry, be able to feel emotions and live in the realm of joy that God has for me. It says always rejoice in the Lord. Always. This isn't, as I said, isolated just to uh, this verse. It's all through scripture. Go to 1 Peter 4. Look at this verse says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, is not one where you're guaranteed financial stability for the rest of your life. Did you pay bills this week? Yeah. Are there bills that will be due on the 1st and the 15th? Do you have to take a, a pill for a backache? Do you have to go to a respiratory therapist? Are, are you a believer? Do you love Jesus? Does he know you? Do, you? do you know him? Then why are you struggling financially? 
Why are you having to go to the doctor? Well, that can't be right. It must mean that if I'm a Christian, then everything's going to be all right. Nothing could be further from the truth. And men that propagate such ideals are false teachers. They're heretics. Some of the greatest Christians ever to live suffered and died most brutal deaths for the cause of Christ. And this verse says, but rejoice and be partakers of the suffering of Christ. The lifestyle of a Christian is not one of health and wealth. It's getting on the cross with Christ and enjoying the ride of fellowship in suffering. That is the Christian lifestyle. But to preach such in these days where people want to hear what they want to hear is not a popular Christianity, but is the Christianity found in Scripture. There are good Christian people like Ralph and Jackie Sexton who lived in the times of the Great Depression in our country. And for them, a blessing would be to have a potato and some cornmeal. Yet here we are today, and the same God is in charge. He's still on the throne, and we enjoy the bounty of blessing in this country like no other existence in human history has ever known. And if we're not careful, the culture of instant gratification, the culture of always being comfortable and never having to work hard to obtain something, if we're not careful, that will creep into our walk of faith and it does not belong there. To know joy, to know Christ is to know suffering. It does not mean that every day is a terrible day. It does not mean that every existence that you know in every relationship breaks and and, and fractures. But it could be that one day in this country, it may cost you something to be a Christian. This next verse, Paul is teaching Even though I'm suffering, I'm rejoicing. Here it is, Colossians 1, 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Listen to this. For his body's sake, which is the church. Rejoice in my sufferings. If you go to the New Testament, go to John Go to chapter 13. As Jesus begins the Last Supper, he sits down at the table with his disciples. And this discussion, this heart pouring out where Jesus is talking to them and teaching them. And he's leaving a part of his heart there with him. He's giving them their instruction. He's telling them of what's to come. And all three, you go John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And Jesus lays it all on the line for the disciples in this conversation around this table. And you know what Jesus is saying to these disciples right before he's getting ready to be executed for you and for me? Do you know what the theme, you know what I see the most here in this passage? It's not that we would circle the wagons. It's not that we would dig a cave and go hide and be spiritual preppers of sorts. He says, all these things that are getting ready to happen to you, everything I'm saying to you is that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I won't be here on this earth in physical form and I won't be with you. Yet in that one passage, that one section, Eight different times, 
Jesus points to joy and real joy. And he tells them, disciples, followers, you're in for a plethora of issues. You're going to face massive difficulties in this life. People will come for you. Those in charge of the synagogue are going to come after you aggressively. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to try to stone you. And just as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But Jesus' entire reason for telling them this was so that they could have joy. How could it be? In the midst of the most terrifying event to date, the death of the Messiah, the death of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the loss of him who at this time for these disciples, he was their life, his ministry was their burden and their passion and he's getting ready to leave them and he's preparing them with anticipation of terrible suffering and persecution and death and in all of that he says you should have joy. Be full of joy and if I put myself at that table and I'm listening to the words of Jesus and I'm Peter how can it be you're going to leave us you're going you mean we're not going to establish the kingdom that's been talked about for, for millennia we're not, you're leaving us yes Peter I told you I was there's going to be brutal things that happens to you and you will suffer for my name. But in that, I want your heart to be full of joy. And maybe you're here today and your heart is crushed. Your parents are going through a divorce. Your mom, your dad, they're not talking to each other. Maybe your parent is in a nursing home and they're in the winter years of their life and it breaks your heart to see this once vibrant person full of life begin to wither away and die and your heart's crushed. Maybe you've built a business and COVID executed it. All these hopes and dreams and aspirations of financial stability and gain are now gone and you're crushed. Maybe you're a grandparent or a parent and you're watching what the United States of America is becoming and if you had to be honest, your heart is breaking for what your babies are going to have to face. My invitation is to pull up a chair with the disciples, listen to the words of Jesus and obey what he says. Find joy, real joy, in the midst of everything that's happening. This is a joy that we're commanded to live in. This is us. This is what it means to be a Christian. That's why I think it's so important that we remember the Sermon on the Mount, that word that he used, that blessed. It means inward satisfaction, happiness. And here we are yet again. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the evidence of those who believe is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. This is who we are, church. No matter what's happening in our world, no matter what politicians are doing, my Lord, if you have not learned yet, do not put stock in anything that revolves around the world of politics. 
There's some good people that want to be politicians. There maybe are a few good people that are left that are politicians. But you're above their realm. There's no difference in what you're doing with Christ than what Peter, James, and John did after Jesus left. You're struggling, you're warring, you're going on, you're going forward. And you must have joy. And it's joy that's greater than anything that can be legislated. It's joy that's greater than anything that can be found in something of this world. John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Let me remind you that the joy is personal joy. Everybody in here is allowed Everyone has the opportunity to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter who you were in the past. It doesn't matter how broken, bruised, and scarred sin has left you or your lifestyle before has left you. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that, real joy. These are the strings on our guitar. These are the elements of our confidence in Christ. And the truth is, Brother Paul, the, the power of God is so strong, it's so real, it's so evident that no matter what tomorrow may bring, you can rise above it with joy. You can still have a smile on your face and a song in your heart, not because... It doesn't hurt. Not because you're confused by what's happening. Not because you can't really figure out what God's trying to teach you or show you. But because basically it all boils down to he's in charge. You can have joy because Jesus is who exactly he said he was. And when you have the confidence and the authority to live in that, from there you will find joy. Real joy. Let's close with what the prophet Malachi says. Go to Malachi, go to the end of the prophecy, go to chapter 4. The Old Testament is closing. The silence is getting ready to come. Malachi has prophesied. God's given him the words that Jesus would come the first time. The forerunner. All that's going to happen is Jesus is born. It's all been prophesied. Now we get to the last part of this prophecy and Malachi is going to kind of swap over what he's talking about. And now this last chapter is dealing with those that are left, the remnant. Those of us that are in the faith that are here after Jesus' ascension into heaven and who are waiting for Jesus' To return. Maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you're new to church or you've never been and this is your first day. Let me give you a little background on something. Jesus promised us, he told us that he would come again. That's a promise that's been made to us as Christians and to the entire world that Jesus would come again. And many times I think Christians especially we lose an opportunity 
to live our lives with the expectancy that Jesus could come again at any moment, at any time. And when we start talking about the second coming, the second advent of Christ, people instantly begin to turn off the dial, go, that's eh, a little too sci-fi and supernatural for me. And what's happened is our culture has desensitized us to the supernatural workings of God. Our God is a supernatural God. Our God works in ways that we can't even explain. Our God is a God of great glory, great power, great ability. If he wants it done, there's nothing to stop him. If he wants to end time and erase every bit of time, he can do it. If he wants to create a new heaven and a new earth, he can do it. If he wants to send his son yet again to come back for the bride, the remnant that remaineth, he can do it. And we believe that. And Jesus promised us, if I go, I will come again. And during this waiting period, what excites me the most is that Jesus told us that he would go to prepare a place for us. And if this earth was created in just a few days, imagine what God, what Jesus has been up to the past 2,000 plus years. Imagine what the glory and the splendor of heaven will be for those who go. But be reminded that one of the greatest sources of joy that you have as a Christian is the assurance, the guarantee that one day he will come again. And it could be before this preacher gets done preaching the sermon. It could be before you get home to make your turkey sandwich that the eastern sky splits wide open and Jesus could come again. We must continue in the faith, believing that Jesus could come at any moment. You say, well, pastor, I've heard your granddaddy preach about it, and I've heard your great-granddaddy preach about it. Well, praise God, I'm going to preach about it, and if we're going to be here another 150 years, I pray that my son and my, my grandson preach that Jesus is coming because Jesus promised us he would come. That is the V8 5.7 liter big old engine that drives your faith, your hope, your trust to keep going, to keep living, to not play dead, to not circle the wagons because Jesus could come for his bride at any moment. Never lose sight of the second advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is coming again. You say you're crazy to believe such allegory, a metaphorical story. You better be ready for when he comes. Jesus is coming again. And here we are thousands of years ago and Malachi, through God speaking through him, Malachi 4 verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. Paul's right there. I won't be here. Keep going. And all the proud... Yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Everything's going to get burned up down to the very stubble. And the day that shall come, burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. This is the anticipated return of Jesus, but it's the anticipated return of Jesus in judgment. The good news is Satan, the devil himself, the Antichrist, and all of his minions are one day going to be judged. They're going to feel the wrath of God for all of eternity. And for every time they harmed a hair on your head, for every time that you were tempted, for every time that you were mocked and scorned and oppressed, they will be punished. That day is coming. 
And what will happen in the purifying fire is the day of righteousness of the Lord will come. The millennial reign of Christ will be established for a thousand years. And then in that, there will be nothing but righteousness and goodness and kindness and the glory of God and mercy and grace and no more sin and no more sorrow and no more depression and no, and no more anxiety. All of those things will be destroyed. The things that rob us of our joy will be destroyed. Now look what it says in verse number two. But unto you that fear my name. Here it is. Unto you that fear my name. This is the church. This is the remnant. Shall the son of righteousness. Now notice how son is spelt. S-U-N. But it's a capital S. The son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up, and here it is, as calves, like little baby moo cows. You with me? As calves of the stall. As calves of the stall. While the wicked will be devoured by the heat of the wrath of God, those who fear him will feel his warmth. We'll know what it is to be in the perfect presence of God. And the only person that the S-U-N, the son of righteousness, could be is our Messiah, Jesus. This is Jesus that we're speaking about. And he will come for the final healing where all the sin will be destroyed, the wickedness put to death. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. When I read that verse, it gripped my heart and I began to think and pray about that. Why would God put in his Bible, in his word for us to read, that we would be like calves of the stall that go out? Well, God doesn't make any mistakes. But know this, until that day comes, until that day of perfection where the sun of righteousness comes and we feel the warmth of being in his presence, all evil and wickedness put to final death. We are in a stall. It's called the stall of earth. It's called the stall of flesh. It's the limitations of who we are until we are glorified in his presence. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, but I'm still waiting for glorification. This is not as good as it gets. Believe it or not. Two people got that. We get a new body. There is no Advil PM in heaven. In this perfect realm, there's nothing but goodness and gladness and joy. And then we get to live, the Bible says, as calves that have come out of the stall. But think about what the stall is. The stall brings provision. Everything you need is met. All the water and all the food that you need as a baby calf in the stall, it's brought to you. There's provision there. In that stall, there's petting. Usually the farmer or his kids or those that come by, they'll want to go in and see the calf, pet it, feed it a bottle, play with it, be around it. And in the stall of life, the stall of our flesh, the stall of this earth, 
there are still moments where our stall is flooded with the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. And our encourager comes and lets us know that it's going to be okay. There's provision, there's petting, and there's protection. And in the stall, as it is right now, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm waiting for glorification. Yes, this world is sin-sick and it's hell-bound without Jesus. But I'm protected in the stall of grace and mercy. And in that stall, there is protection. When it rains outside, when it storms outside, I'm in the stall. I'm covered. Someone has prepared an opportunity for me to live in the world in the stall. But I'm not out in the world in the storm. But God is saying through his preacher Malachi, there's coming a day where the stall will no longer be necessary for the baby calves. They'll be able to get out and roam free. And when Jesus comes, all of that harm, all of that wickedness will be corrected. The sickness that robs you of that joy, that steals joy from you, that binds joy, that's linked directly to sin, the Bible says it'll be burned up and purified by fire. And then the door on the stalls will open. And the baby calves who have never known anything but to be in the stall are going to be set free into a perfect blissfulness of righteousness and glory and perfection that only Jesus Christ himself could make. And there will be no more need for the stall of provision, nor protection, nor petting. Because God in his righteousness will provide for you for all of eternity. And God in his righteousness will pet on you and love you with a new love name that she'll speak to you for all of eternity. And in the protection, in the safe harbor of heaven, there will be no more harm that comes to you. And you'll be as a little baby moo cow. A calf that gets to run and play and not worry about any wolf that may trip you up or tempt you or harm you or hurt you. You'll just be able to run free. Be free. It's all clear. Go and run. Do what you want to do. Enjoy the vastness that I've created because I am your God and I am the Son of God and I am here to establish a kingdom. Church, find joy in the fact that Jesus is coming again and he's going to take Satan and all of his horde and they're going to get what's coming and we get to go to a supper, a ceremony where never again we'll have to experience the hatefulness, the sin of this world. Don't lose hope. He's coming again. That's who our God is. Why would God put in the Bible that we're like baby calves? Brother Jerry told me something after 8 o'clock. It blessed me. He said, Winston, me and your poppy used to talk about that verse all the time. He said it was one of our favorites. 
He said, one day, it was cold, it was snowing, and he said there was a fresh crop of calves that had been born. He said they had been locked up in that pen forever. He said as the snow began to melt, the grass began to show, him and Poppy opened the door on that little gate. And he said that those calves, when the door flew open, Jerry said that Poppy said that the calves lost their mind. They started mooing and turning and going left and going right. And there was so much good and there was so much grass and there was so much green that their little hearts didn't know how to take it. And he said, one thing lets you know, you turn around and these calves are, are chewing as much grass as their mouths can fit. And there's green grassy slobber going everywhere and they're having the time of their life. And you know what? Those little baby calves, while all that's going on, never had to think one time, I wonder if something's behind me. I wonder if something's going to get me. That's not in the nature of that calf. All that calf knows to do is to go enjoy what's been prepared before it. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls who are saved in the faith as Christians, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And the truth is, I can't wait to be like a little calf without a stall. Jesus, we love you. Holy Father, we worship you and we thank you for what you've done in our hearts this day. God, I thank you for joy, real joy that comes from our relationship with Jesus. God, for that joy that comes, the confidence that comes with it, the authority to live in this day and this age. Now, God, I pray for anyone that's here today that's struggling, that's having a hard time. Lord, for the one that can't find the joy in their life anymore for the heart that's broken, for the heart that's bereaved. Father, I pray that today they would find joy yet again in the person of Jesus. And Father, that they would be encouraged through your word. We love you. We worship you for who you are and for what you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. I'm thankful for his word. Do not live this life discouraged. Live in the joy, the confidence, and the authority of who your Savior is. If you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is and he doesn't know who you are, you're lost and you're undone, come find someone, a pastor, before you leave and we'll be glad to take the word of God and show you what it means to know joy personally.